It's 12 o'clock and it's time to shop, shop, shop. Or listen to the Selby's Godcast. TJ Zoopy, Zach Meisel here with you. We are going to flood your ears with amazing talk about your favorite baseball team in Cleveland. What's up, TJ? Well, it's not 12 o'clock by my watch as we record this today, prior to Tuesday's game. The second thing is, you'll have to forgive me, I'm a little bit absent-minded, more so than usual, because I'm, I'm actually packing, getting all my stuff ready to storm Area 51. Oh, are you going to that? Yeah, I thought I'd show up. You I, don't know know what, I don't know what we're going to see inside, but you know, as, as they say, you can't stop all of us, and I'm just hoping that I'm not one of the ones they do actually stop. I saw someone create one of those for the Bermuda Triangle, <laughs> yeah. and I think it was just obviously poking fun at it, but then the more I thought about it, the more I'm like, how many people are going to believe this actually might be true? <laughs> I think the world is, is on balance kind of dumb, so I don't, I don't know. Thinning the herd, as a friend of mine once said. That's all that is. Um yeah, so I don't know what I'm going to see inside in Area 51. I'm not sure what to expect. The only kind of uh, background I have on it is playing the old arcade game, Area 51. Did you ever play that thing? It was like a first-person shooter, the arcade. You just stuff all your coins in. This is actually no, when you actually put... I was, I was born in 89, bro. For all, the, for all the kids listening now, there was a time when you actually put coins in the machine. What's a coin? <laughs> oh, like Bitcoin? <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what it was. And I, I used to, I, I must have wasted so much money playing Area 51. It was the most fun video game ever. It was That's why we terrible. need you all to support the podcast. <laughs> Speaking of which, we have five new ones, buddy. I want to wow. give a shout out to Kevin S., Ryan M., Stan S., Adam T., and Justin L. You are all absolutely not made up names, and you are recent monthly supporters to the podcast. You journeyed over, ventured over. To the anchor page, which you can find when we tweet out the link to the podcast every single week. Or if you look in the description in the Apple Podcast app that you're listening to right now, perhaps. If you look in the description of the episode, there's also a link in there. And if you would like to also help support the podcast on a monthly basis, we do appreciate it. We are in forever in your debt. And if any of you are at a Cleveland Indians game in the near future home or road just shoot me a note on twitter or email and i'd be happy to purchase you a fine adult beverage as our way of showing gratitude do you have any uh, speaking of secrets we're not gonna get any from area 51 that's my guess but you did sit down with mike chernoff so do you have any delicious nuggets of information for us as we, we were actually standing podcast? uh yeah no it's it was a it's, mental sit -down. It's so funny. I was running late to the ballpark, and, like, I needed to talk to a couple players about something. And, like, it was one of those days where I'm, like, I had extra free time. And I'm, like, oh, my God, I can get to the ballpark early. And, of course, I don't know what I was doing, probably HBD. But, of course, I end up running late, and I'm so pissed off. And then I just so happened to run into turn off as I was – and it's, like, Wow. It's funny how the world works where had I been early, I probably would have missed him. But no, I mean, I, I went into it saying like he was probably like cursing in his head because he those guys probably want to avoid media at all costs this time of year. Um, 
But no, I, I, you go into it knowing you're not going to get anything juicy, especially on the record. I mean, it's, it's tough. Cause like, you try to read into everything. You try to read between the lines. You try to find some nugget that you can then follow up upon. But doing that and also listening to the words that are coming out of the front office member's mouth is really difficult. And so it's, it's you go back and transcribe it and read the answers. And that's when like the wheels start spinning and you're like, oh, okay, well, this makes me think this. And I wish I would have followed up on this. And so at least from the on the record segment and talking to him, I don't, I didn't really come away with anything that was too surprising. Um, But I think some things that we discussed helped me just in my own thoughts and maybe confirmed some things I was, I don't want to say assuming, but some educated guesswork I had done when trying to figure out what this team is going to do or, or what their stance is. Look, we, we've said it for weeks, and I don't want to just keep rehashing the same discussion that you and I have had every time we, we link up here, but it's they're in a tricky spot, and it really is kind of a continuation of what they were trying to do over the winter. And it's a matter of thinking about 2020 in addition to 2019 and how you can – not destroy your chances this year, but also improve them for next year. And I, the more I think about it, I think the more I get confused because there are just so many. And this was the first thing I said to him was like, there's so many different things they have to consider when you consider, all right, well, we don't want to just ruin our chances this year. We have to consider the wild card standings in addition to the division standings. We have to consider you know, if, if we don't make moves now, how are we going to improve over the winter? It's not like we're strapped with cash and can play in free agency. You don't want to upset the mood in the clubhouse. Uh, you have to think about finances. You have to think about depth and people coming back off injuries. There's just like so many different variables here, and it's it makes us so tough. Yeah, but, but there are some things that you and I have discussed for like a month now that we feel like they should do. I've said for weeks, I am evaluating what they do at the deadline outside of where they're at in the standings. If I get a trade that I think is fair, that I think I, I, I can't walk away from, I would not be afraid to pull that trigger no matter what the, the backlash would be. But it's easy for me to, and, and you to say that sitting here when we don't have to deal with that outside of maybe our Twitter mentions and a few less people supporting the podcast every single week. Um, so I know we look at it through the, the prism of how will we do this in a, a video game in a vacuum that doesn't exist in real life. I know it is a tricky situation for them. However, n- again, nothing changes. It, I still feel the same way I do about a Bauer trade, about a potential hand trade. I still in my mind have ideas of what those trades would look like. But the thing that we haven't discussed a lot of as we sit here today is trading Bieber. Well, that is true. We haven't talked about value since like a year ago when we both said, no, no, you can't do that. No, 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 walk, walk away, walk away. Because you and I both foresaw that he was going to become an ace. So clearly it was easy for us to say no. Good job out of us. (laughs) (laughs) Our own insight. No help whatsoever. No background. 
no idea of what other teams thought. It was just you and I throwing it out there under the wind. I think this dude's an ace. Actually, I don't know that he's an ace. I do know that he is 24 years old. And I do know that every step of the way, he continues to to take a step forward in, in ways that I didn't think were possible. When he was first drafted, he, you looked at him, you thought, this is the next Josh Tomlin, because you looked at the strike-throwing ability. Well, he's a little better than Josh Tomlin, unseated Josh Tomlin, essentially in the rotation. And then you think, oh, well, he's probably a pretty good five, back-end starter. Well, now he's out there starting in the all, or, uh, winning the All-Star game MVP and just having a brilliant performance. And every step of the way, he continues to impress and get better. I don't think you can make any definitive statements. And the reason why I bring it up, because I did hear a conversation on the radio where they were trying to determine what his, his value is now and in the future. And I can tell you with some sense of, of clarity here, and I think you're with me on this, that teams around Major League Baseball will be drooling all over themselves to get their hands on a guy like that. And they probably aren't sitting here today putting a cap on what they think he is at the age of 24, making definitive statements. They're probably looking at it like you and I are. We're seeing a guy continuing to get better, showing that he has an aptitude to, to pick up things quickly, that he can handle big moments, doesn't seem to phase him too much. And the stuff somehow continues to improve. And I think there's even ways for the sequencing to get better. I, I don't think you can put a cap on what this guy's career is going to be, especially at this point in his career. Yeah. I mean, I look, sports talk radio is not, doesn't often spark like really insightful, thoughtful, well laid out arguments about certain things. It's very hot takey as we know. And, you know, when laziness gets involved too, it just produces just, just stupid conversations and segments that look really foolish years later. So I think um, I had someone tell me that, you know, this was a topic of conversation on sports talk radio recently. And it's just like, like, why are you, you really that desperate for topics for time to fill at this time of year? I mean, like, I mean, you and I try to be as fair as possible and present every avenue that we can see it going down. And you and I still look pretty dumb. It just sometimes. takes a little bit of effort to, <laughs> to not, I mean, like, okay. So Shane Bieber, Coming out of high school, didn't have any Division One scholarship offers. Didn't I mean he he wanted to go to Santa Barbara because it was the school was literally on a beach and like who wouldn't want that? And if he didn't play baseball, he was fine studying sociology and then maybe going into law enforcement like his dad. And like it just so happened that you know the paths were there for him to walk on and instantly. But if you were judging this guy out of high school, like and and you didn't care to put any thought behind it, you probably would have said okay, well, this guy's never going to amount to anything because he throws in the 80s and he doesn't have any scholarship offers. And it's like, okay, well, you look stupid now. And when he was in college and he was throwing like 89, 90 miles an hour and his numbers weren't great, they were fine. Um, I don't think anyone would have said, all right, here's a future all-star MVP. Um, But if you said this guy's never going to amount to anything, you'd look stupid. So, like, give people a chance. (laughs) Like, guys, especially, uh, kudos to the Indians player development system, especially on the pitching side and, and the guys like Ruben Niebla and Cody Buckle and uh, I don't know, Tom, like uh, Tony Arnold, Tom Arnold, Jesus. <laughs> Tony, best Tony damn Arnold. Remember the coach, best damn sports show period? period. <laughs> Why was Tom Arnold I on that? I don't know. John Sally. Because 
He had Mike relations Irvin? with Roseanne Barr once. Uh, anyway, kudos to the Indians player development staff and those in amateur scouting who drafted Bieber in the fourth round. That draft also produced Aaron Savali in the third round, Zach Plesak in the 11th round, Nolan Jones, who is like going to be an all-star third baseman in a couple of years in the second round, Will Benson in the first round. Hell of a draft, and we haven't even seen the uh, the full fruits of it. Anyway, it's just like like why we don't have to come to definitive conclusions <laughs> right, about that's, things. That's that's the moral I of mean, the story. Be, be, yeah, like like Bieber, even when he got to the majors, it's so funny to listen to Clevenger and Bauer talk about this because every time you ask them, they'll say. Now they say, like, Bieber was throwing 80 miles an hour when he got to the majors, <laughs> and then they worked with him, and now he throws 95. <laughs> In reality, it's like he was throwing, like, 91, 92, and then he, they helped him and, and or encouraged him to just, like, let loose, and he started throwing, you know, 94, 95. But it's funny because, like, the first time I asked them about this, they're like, yeah, he was throwing, like, 87, 88. And it's like, well, not quite. And Bieber's standing there. I can't wait eyes. three years from now, now to be saying he threw left-handed. I, yeah, he threw knuckleballs or, or Clevenger. Clevenger's like, yeah, I just heard that when he was coming up, I, I asked people about him and they're like, oh, yeah, he's just basically like Tomlin, just throwing up softies and just commanding it, <laughs> like throwing like 83. I'm like, that's, you know, I, I understand you want to pump yourself up and give yourself more credit, but uh, kudos to Bieber for un- unlocking his own potential um, with the help of some others. But yeah, I mean, it, it's it just shows you like, just relax. Like people take time to develop and you have to work with them and they have to go through struggles and they have to learn things. And guess what? Like there's a reason the Indians didn't trade him at the trade deadline last year. You know, Mm -hmm. people were calling about all sorts of pitchers and they could have moved him for a rental or some other player. And then they opted to keep him. They saw some potential in him. And, you know, just because he's an all-star game MVP and looks like he's as good as any pitcher on this really good pitching staff, uh, first of all, it mean, doesn't mean he's not going to go through struggles at some point because he's only been in the majors for a year and he just turned 24. But also it means he probably still has heights that he hasn't reached yet. So I don't understand why we would anyone would cap his potential and say, okay, well, Bieber's clearly a number two or a number three, so you got to add someone else. Right. And like, it's, it's, I mean, it's just imagine so what lazy. you were saying about Corey Kluber prior to the 2014 season, wasn't it? Ah, this guy looks like he's probably a good two or three behind Justin Masterson. Well, that changed pretty quickly. And Ubaldo. Ubaldo. Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, through all the big games and big moments that happened down the stretch in 2013, and Danny Salazar taking them out in the, or in the, the wild card game against Tampa Bay, you know who was absent from all of that? Corey Kluber. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't factor into that last game they needed. He didn't pitch in that, that wild card game, and yet, uh, it was only uh, one calendar year later where he really took off and became the, the stud pitcher that he is. I mean, if you're looking at this, and the reason why I bring it up is partially because hearing this conversation on the radio, I get frustrated when anybody is capping anybody's potential at the age of 23, 24. I think it's silly. I think you'll make yourself look silly. And I'm just trying to help out some comrades in that position. Uh, on, on top of that, we kind of glossed over it last week when we were talking about the All-Star game. And, you know, there were a lot of moments to talk about, but he did deserve to be discussed considering the way that he pitched in that game and has just been a steadying force while everyone around him is, is failing and injured and, and, and young and 
inexperienced. This kid has looked like a 10-year veteran and is pitching like a top 25 pitcher in baseball right now. So it's not a stretch to say that, that we can't even see what, what the top of his mountain peak potential looks like to here today. It's funny because when he, you know, they pulled the two trucks. Am I allowed to say Chevy Silverado on this podcast? I got in trouble for uh, just saying the specific truck brand on a, another radio uh, yeah. show. No, I, I think you should say exactly what color, model, year. A red and silver 2020, around 2020 cars now. Chevy Silverado. He had the choice well, they between have 20, the two. They have 2025 so, cars at Area 51, I've heard. Well, they have the 2026 All-Star Game location decided for some reason. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so, so I, you know, I see this guy in a 50, number 57 jersey. It looks like Bieber standing out on the field with all the MLB personnel and some photographers. And I'm like, is that Bieber? And I, I stole someone's binoculars, and I'm looking, and it says Bieber. It, I still, like, was skeptical. Like, why is he out in the middle of the field? I mean, he threw a scoreless inning, struck out the side. That's fine. Like, so did Aroldis Chapman. I don't know. They usually give it to a hitter because pitchers usually only go an inning. And, and the award is a bat. <laughs> yeah. And, like, so I tweeted that Shane Bieber is the all-star MVP. And I was like, like, my eyes can't be deceiving me. And then all these people start tweeting back and saying, no, idiot, it's Michael Brantley. They just said it on Fox. And I'm like. Oh my God, I can't believe I just jumped the gun on this. Cause I, I didn't go down for post game right away. Cause I was finishing a story and so everyone else had left. So I think I was the first person to tweet that. And I, I so it, it starts, the retweets start piling up and I'm like, Oh my God, all these people are retweeting this and I just screwed this up and Brantley's the MVP. But then I see Brantley like disappear into the dugout and I'm like, Yo, Mike, the, the trophy presentation's <laughs> out there, bro. Like, uh, so so Bieber gets it, and it was just like so. Yeah. It was so surreal, just because I, I didn't really believe that he won MVP until he holds the bat over his head, and like poses for the picture. I mean, I, I got um, I got why opposing fan bases were were ticked about it, particularly Ranger fans that thought Joey Gallo should have gotten it. I think Indians fans have been in that position in the past. I'm, I'm thinking that. Somebody played a, the year that Rivera won All Star MVP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wasn't there an Indian that had a big hit in that game? And I think Indians fans yeah. were upset. And it's like, okay, well, it just comes down. The All Star game is about memorable moments. And the Joey Gallo home run, while well, it obviously decided the game, at the time it gave the AL a three run lead. So it wasn't like in the moment it was a critical home run. It ended up being a critical home run later. But when you think about that All Star game MVP and you're talking about things that took place on the field, that Gallo bomb, while it was impressive, pretty much like every Joey Gallo bomb would be, and for Indians fans, would probably love to see that happen more frequently with him sporting a, a block C on his cap. The reality is, with it being in Cleveland, everyone chanting his name, the crowd was never louder than what it was in, in that moment. And for him to strike out the side the way that he did, and then to have that followed up, obviously, with the, the Carlos Carrasco moment on the field in the stand-up to cancer segment, I'm, what else are you going to remember from that game? So I, I got it. There was no clear-cut MVP standout performance. So give it to the hometown guy that had the huge, huge moment. Certainly received better than if Chapman would have won it. Yikes. That would be a so, PR nightmare for Major League Baseball. Yeah. All right, so that's in the past. I feel like we've gotten everything out. 
Bieber, right? Everything, it's all on the table. Feel feel better. He's today. really good, and and his his development, honestly, like allows the Indians to maybe feel a little more comfortable trading Trevor Bauer. I asked that, and I don't know if I did a good enough job framing the question properly or wording it properly. I don't know if this was in the piece that I wrote, um, but I asked like. How do you balance, you know, you're trying to stay in this race. And if you, you have, like Salazar is going to be back in two weeks, which is so weird that he's the first guy. And they're like actually encouraged. He's throwing mid-90s. He's bouncing back fine. Um, he's going to be a starter because they don't know, like they know he's, what they're doing right now is working every five days. And it's not like he's throwing 95 pitches every five days. He's throwing like 50 or something. And, and that'll increase a little bit. But they don't know like if he could handle getting hot, sitting back down, getting hot again, going in the game, not pitching for four days, then pitching twice in a row. I, I, you know what? And, I, and um, I, I get that. To a certain extent, I get that. I mean, you're trying to be cautious yeah. with this guy that all of us are kind of just saying, yeah, okay, sure. Let's see him actually get back on the mound. If it gets to a point later in the year where – he can help out in the bullpen. And if this team makes the playoffs, you would think that that is at some point in the future. Well, then he'll have some, some, you know, some base to stand upon here where it's not throwing him out there every two out of every three days, right out of the chute. He'll have, he'll have some, a workload to have built up that he'll be probably better positioned to actually handle that sort of role. So, I mean, I get, I get what they're, where they're coming from. We all agree that Danny Salazar would look spectacular coming out of the bullpen in the eighth inning, but given his, his arm situation, I, I think it's very acceptable the path that they're taking. What's wild is if what he spent two years in Arizona and I don't think he cut his hair once. <laughs> well, there's, there are no there. barbers in Arizona. You should know this. You've been out there enough. Well, your hair just like melts off. <laughs> yeah, not for Danny. That's luscious. Um, by the way, shout out to poor one out for our boy Cody Anderson. That poor oh, guy. Tough. Um, who's going to have to spend a lot more time in Arizona now. But anyway, so you're going to get Salazar back. I'm assuming he'll go to the rotation. You know, maybe that occupies Plutko's spot or if they trade Bauer, Bauer's spot. But then you get Kluber back at some point, maybe in August. I don't. I don't know. They're being kind of weird about that. I don't. I never know how long it takes for like bullpen sessions and then a minor league rehab assignment. And so, and Carrasco is a complete question mark. So, how do you balance that with like, all right, if we trade Bauer, do we have enough arms to survive? Do we hold on to Bauer just because we don't know if we have enough arms to survive? Um, I don't know. It's tough. And and, and it's it's. They're very fortunate that Bieber and Clevenger have made the developments they've made over the last few years to put them in a spot where it's even in the question, in the realm of the possibility, that they can entertain offers for Trevor. Well, if I had to read the tea leaves from the outside, see, reading pieces like you had today, hearing quotes, knowing the, the inner workings of the front office, all the things they consider, I, I would guess, I would venture to guess that they are more than comfortable with the idea of trading Trevor Bauer. And in fact, probably if, if they had their, if everything went the way that they wanted, they probably would. Correct. What I am skeptical of is that somebody's going to meet the demands that they're going to have because they, think of it this way. 
I mean, we were just talking about this. They have to, where you and I would just say, forget what you know, the sentiment would be around the team, do what's best for the, or what you think is best for the organization. They do have to consider what the backlash would be. Unfortunately, that's part of their job description. And so when they make a deal for Trevor Bauer, they have to come out looking like to the fan base, the clear cut winner, or they have to look like they, they pretty much won the trade in the eyes of the fan base. So it probably might even take a little bit more than they would say yes to, to actually pull the trigger, given where they're at in the standings, what the PR backlash would be, all of that. And I don't think a team is going to be able to, to meet those demands. Yeah. I think the tricky part is there are only a very small number of teams that it makes sense to trade with. Like we, we did this in the off season. Like you have to be a contender. You have to have an abundance of position player talent so that you can afford to part with some of those young hitters. So like Houston with Kyle Tucker or Jordan Alvarez or Atlanta has a bunch of kids, the Dodgers, the Padres, although the Padres don't really fit that description anymore because they're kind of falling off. I mean, if, if they, it wouldn't make sense in my mind to acquire Trevor Bauer, who you're only going to have for a year and a half. If you're, Three games below 500. I think that's what the Padres are. But who knows? Um, they're just, there aren't that many teams that a deal makes sense. The Yankees, obviously. And then you have to consider, like, you're making those teams better. And so if you're making those teams better, too, how, how does that influence your plan for 2019? Like, then I almost think if you trade Bauer to the Yankees, or let's say, let's say you trade Bauer to the Astros, and you look at Houston, and they have Garrett. <laughs> Hold Cole, on, I'm popping the popcorn first. <laughs> and they have Garrett Cole, Trevor Bauer, and assuming both of them don't, they don't kill each other before October. You have those two and Justin Verlander in every playoff series. That's that's nuts. And so, and plus they have one of the best lineups in baseball when healthy. So you're making that team so much better. Well, it's like, oh, then are you really going to beat that team? Shouldn't you then just trade Brad Hand too? But like we've said, it all depends on the package you get back. And I, I'm with you. I think the front office is appreciative of how the team has staved off. You know, it, it was, would have been very easy to pack it in six weeks ago. And instead, this team has had a resurgence. They've worked their way back into the race. And I, I, I just it, – it's so, it's so difficult to just – I mean, Chernoff said it. He's like, hey, we might have to make unpopular decisions in the clubhouse, but we think the players understand our situation to the point where we could explain ourselves and they'd be fine. But that's – I feel like that's easier said than done. Well, even if you have to – we've seen this before, not even with the Indians, but in other sports where a, a GM will almost serve as the villain, will, will serve as the – Everyone can focus their frustrations at one person and they're fine with that, provided everyone can then get on the same page and kind of rally around that. I mean, hell, you could almost make a case that that's what the Twins did a couple of years ago when they made the wild card game and they're buying and selling the same guys <laughs> within a week's time. It, it was confusing. Um, and it, it almost seemed to infuse the players with something to, to rally around. Not that that is the only reason why a team does or does not make the playoffs. It always comes down to talent, but I don't think Chris Antonetti and Mike Chernoff are going to be up at night worried about what the players think of them 
provided they have put a more talent or what they think is a more long-term talented roster together. But I, sure. I think they are, are confident enough in themselves and their abilities that if it makes some people upset in the short term, that it's still not going to stop them if they, as long as they're getting the right guys in return. So I don't, I don't think that's going to be an issue. Yeah, if they trade Bauer for – I hate that Clint Frazier is always the go-to <laughs> answer here, but it's just the easy name. If, if they trade Bauer for Frazier plus a couple of prospects, like I don't think anyone – like Bieber and Clevenger will be bummed. And, but I think everyone will understand it. If they trade Brad Hand for a group of prospects, I think it's a little different. Especially – I mean, if they're I, prospects I, that are two, three years away, yeah. Right. I, I, it, everything depends on the package you get. And I don't think, I don't think the fish are biting quite yet. I think let's not go aggregate this answer websites, but I think, I think stuff is going to come down to the last couple days. I think, I think it's just going to depend on the offers. It, it's, it's weird. I, I was, I really wanted to try to get it churn off and, and get some specifics on this, but it's like you've, you've had these conversations. Like these aren't, there's nothing new no. here. No, there's not. Like you had these same conversations over the winter. You were trying to trade Bauer or Kluber for a similar package. The only difference now is that teams are more established. So maybe a couple of the teams you were talking to, like it, I don't think it would make sense to trade with the Reds. At this point, it probably, you know, the Reds might have been interested over the winter when they thought they were going to be better than they've been. Um, but the, by, by and large, these are the same teams and you're talking about the same names. And so it's just a matter of like, someone has to feel desperate or get that itch. Yeah. And I think a lot of times that doesn't come until like July 30th. Yeah. And, and it was well, different this... last year with the Indians and Brad Hand because the Indians desperately needed bullpen help and like yeah they've been talking about that for and every every game that they were losing it was like more and more like a almost like a sand in the hourglass kind of thing it's just like oh my god we just need to fix this thing now um yeah and we've seen the indians in the past pull off some deals earlier than expected you know go go the early route um so i don't think timing will be too much of a factor it's it's it is going to come down to package of course it is the other side of this, because we've been talking about this for, God, a month now, uh, different variations of the same topic, pretty much, as, as felt like. It's been fun to watch the national media kind of catch up <laughs> to this, this, this idea that locally many have been talking about for a while now, just the idea of buying and selling and kind of what they're going to do at the deadline. No, you have to push all your chips into the middle of the table or tear down to the studs. There's no in-between. Yeah, yeah, about that. The one thing we haven't talked a lot about is the buying aspect of this. The, the buying and selling thing has been discussed through the selling portion, but what is the, the biggest needs for this team if they are to acquire P- even short-term pieces that aren't going to cost this much in prospect capital? What are the, the positions they should be focused on? And for much of, of pretty much what? The, the last calendar year, it's been outfield. How do they improve the offense? How do they find a way to get that done? Well, considering Mercado has come up and been 
little better than league average. And I've been pleased with what he's contributed so far. And what they've got out of the corners, I would like to see it upgrade, upgraded, sure. But if I had an ability to upgrade anything right now, and this will be fun to revisit in two weeks when he makes me eat my words again, because this is typically how it's gone for the past three years. I'm looking at second base, and I'm looking yep. at Jason Kipnis, and I'm looking at the fact that there was a brief stretch where it looked like he had finally found himself. His swing looked good again. You know, checking the stats today, he's back to a 72 WRC+, plus, which is like significantly worse than where he's been at the last two years. And this is a guy that's been plugged into the cleanup spot because this lineup is so imperfect and there's just nobody that really fits there. I would have gone in a different direction. I would be in favor of getting Jose Ramirez out of the fifth spot and back into the top third somehow. Uh, all those things I think should be discussed in the, in the meantime, but in the short term and in the long term, I'm looking at that position and going, if there's something I want to address right now, it's second base. And if I, if I could find a way to move in their position, move Trevor Bauer and address second base long-term or at least the next two to three years, that is all of a sudden starting to look really intriguing and something I would really like to do. The biggest reason why I, I still think they need to trade Trevor Bauer is because you don't, I mean, we, yeah, the lineup is so imperfect. It's, there are glaring holes. The front office knows it. And the fact that Kipnis is hitting fourth is bad enough, but it's, it's made possible because you just, Bobby Bradley is, he needs time. He's got a lot to figure out. Jake Bowers is still like, there's been, I just, I don't know. He's kind of blah to me. Uh, like Tyler Naquin's nice, but he's played well lately, but man, sure like him better in the nine hole than the four hole. Like, like there's just, th- there's no savior at AAA. There's no, no answer. And again, you're not going to go sign the top free agent over the offseason. So it's your only route to fixing at least one spot in the lineup, hopefully more. And probably anyone like any anyone they trade Bauer to, you're probably going to get your cleanup hitter in return, honestly. So like the, the dream, I'm with you. And, and second base, there's no – I mean, I don't know if Yu Chang is the second baseman or the third baseman of the future. I, I don't know. We haven't seen him. He hasn't been healthy this year. And when he's been healthy, he hasn't been very good. So I, I don't know if I'd feel comfortable with that going into next year, especially given all the other question marks in the lineup. So, like, the dream trade would have been, to me, Bauer to San Diego for their second-base prospect, Luis Urias. But I, I don't see why they would do that. I don't see why they would do that now, given that they've been yeah. struggling a lot of late. And they have no chance of winning that division. So I mean, you can make a similar case for Milwaukee too, but now they're struggling yep. a bit. I, yeah, and I don't think like they would I, never give up. I, I don't think Fira, so. I don't think so either. So it's it, it comes down to maybe maybe you could swing a three team deal if you find a, a team where all they have are prospects that are years away. Maybe could you swing something where you involve Kansas City and get Whit Merrifield? He would be a perfect fit. But I'm, I'm – because we've established that there's only so many teams where it works one-on-one, you do expand the arsenal a bit if you include the, the option to take back younger prospects that you can then immediately flip for immediate help. Sure. And what, what Merrifield fits in perfectly, of course, with 
the sort of thing that they would need from their second baseman for the next few years. Even though I know he's been playing outfield, uh, to be able to just plug him in into into a lineup like this would be tremendous. But is Kansas City ready to, to move on from that? And, and are, are you able to make a really difficult three-team swap work before the trade deadline? This That's adds, tricky. This adds – this all adds to my skepticism. Yeah, I can tell you this, and never say never, but uh, I don't think there's – I hate saying anything definite. We just got done talking about looking like an idiot. Uh, I don't think they're going to trade Tristan McKenzie or Nolan Jones. Um, they really, really, really love Nolan Jones and are thrilled. As they should, by the way. They're thrilled with the progress he's made defensively this year at third base. They think he can stick there now. Um, and I think – I mean, he's at double A now. Plays out the year there. Next year, is it crazy to think midseason maybe he can he can be up here? Um, no, I don't, I don't – I mean, if you look at the way that they've rushed some of the – not rushed, but fast-tracked some of the prospects they really liked in the major leagues – I don't think that's out of the realm of, of possibility. So it's possible. You don't want to bank on that, especially since a, a, it would be a terrible strategy to say, well, we're going to go into it with some stopgap for a couple months and then call up a 21-year-old to start every day at third base. But it at least presents you an option for maybe he's your opening day third baseman on, in 2021. Um, regardless, he's a guy who has really high on-base percentage potential uh, they think he's got some untapped power potential, and he can play an adequate third base. He's a big guy, athletic. Like, that's perfect. Um, I don't think they're going to trade him. And Tristan McKenzie, like, they love Tristan McKenzie. He just – he can't get on the field. Um, and so that hasn't really well, – makes no sense now. Yeah, you're not going to sell. Yeah, you're yeah. not going to sell at this point on him. So because of that, you know, it's it's – like you said, the only way to maybe get him Whit Merritt Field, because I don't know if the Indians really have. If they're not going to move McKenzie or Jones, do they have what it would take to get him in a two-way deal? Probably not, right? So you'd have well, to. They, they would, have to but not, with, not comfortably. They couldn't hook up on a two-way deal with the Royals comfortably and make that deal. But they, do, they, have, they would have the prospects if they wanted to. I think there's a misconception out there and we've done our best to kind of present all the positive things about the Indians farm system over the past uh, year or so. There are still some that think the Indians farm system is not very good because in the upper levels, they haven't, they don't have a lot of the studs that they do in the lower levels. It's about to be incredible. Right. I mean, as, as you see some of these other teams graduate their top stars into or stop minor, top minor leaguers to the next level, you will see the Indians really fast track their way up the minor league uh, projections, which are of course looking at minor leaguers and trying to figure out what they're going to be in the future. And that's pretty much the opposite of what we just said to do with Shane Beaver. But there are reasons to love the Indians farm system for the next few years. And so they have the pieces to pull off a trade like that, but they're not going to do that given where they're at in the standings. Are they, do they think Whit Merrifield is going to make up five games, six games in the division? Over the, the, the final two months? And probably not. I don't think they're going to think he's going to make that big of a difference. And if you're looking long term, that wouldn't make sense to give up top, your top, top guys in a, in a deal like that. So that's what the only reason why I'm thinking about three team deals. I've seen a projected one with maybe including Baltimore, 
and getting Trey Mancini, who I, I like a lot and I think would fit tremendously in the clubhouse. But uh, all those things are real. Those, those things are complicated in the offseason. I can't imagine trying to get that done in season. Yeah, you're making my head hurt. No, oh, come it's on. It's hard enough to make three team oh, trades in HBD. <laughs> it is. Uh, it, that is absolutely true. Uh, but I, have, I think we've all pulled it off multiple times because we, we like the more complicated, the better. The, I live for chaos. The one final thing, uh, your takeaway, or a, a takeaway I had with your chat with Mike Chernoff that you filed today, um, that you could find over on your Twitter, at Zach Mazel, is when he was talking about younger players in the transition, and he made a, a comment that I, maybe he didn't mean it to come out this way, maybe he didn't quite mean it this way, but he said something to the effect of continuing to transition to younger players the rest of this year. Yep. Now, you could say that that just means letting Bobby Bradley play in the major leagues for the rest of this year, which I still haven't seen anything that says you got to send him down right now, because what is he going to get from destroying four, eight pitchers and their mediocre fastballs for the rest of the year? I kind of want to see him get a look at big leaguers breaking balls and see if he can improve on the like 35% chase rate he's at right now. See if he can recognize breaking balls, make guys get into the zone and then start to crush again. All those things I think he has to do at the major league level. But if you are even looking further uh, into the minor leagues, there's no reason to me why Daniel Johnson should not be up before the end of this year. There, mm-hmm. there is zero reason. He's moved up to AAA and is crushing the ball at AAA. And I know that park is – that's an environment for hitters. And maybe he's benefiting a little bit from that. But he clearly is not overwhelmed at AA – or triple A. He was tremendous in spring training. I got to get a look at this guy before the season's over. Slash line at the moment at triple A, 320, 399, 526. Um, I mean, that's, it's almost as good as Bobby. I mean, it depends what you prefer. It's, it's right there with what Bobby Bradley's was. And, and he plays a corner outfield spot. He, people have said his arm in the corner outfield oh. is, top of the line it's it's going to be interesting because you have like it's tough to balance letting the kids play and learn and get out those growing pains and also like hey we're also still in a playoff race and we need to win games at some point you have to go through those growing pains and, and just like accept them and and it the frustrating thing is that you wasted time on carlos gonzalez Hanley Ramirez, Eric Stamets. And if I, I know you can't predict the future and like, you didn't know the twins were going to do what they did. And you didn't know Oscar Mercado was going to be as legitimate as he's been. And, but if you just would have let them maybe get those growing pains out when the veterans were struggling early in the season, probably would be benefiting a little more now um, than you are. But instead you got to let Bobby Briley go through it. Um, and you're still kind of, biding your time with Daniel Johnson. But it's it's going to be interesting to see, like, do they non-tender Tyler Naquin over the offseason and just let Daniel Johnson platoon with Jordan Luplo next year? Because that platoon, that tandem seems like it would be pretty effective. No? Or is there enough? Is there space for Daniel Johnson in left field? Jake Bowers? Where does he go? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. And shout out to Tyler Naquin, by the way, who has just taken – shot after shot in the back for the last few years and even stretching into his rookie year. He's not having a tremendous season. 
but he's been average offensively. And for all the talk about this being a big year for him and, you know, we, we talked about it in spring training that he would have to prove that he's worthy of playing on a semi everyday basis. And this was kind of a last shot for him to prove that when healthy this year, he's been a, not a great contributor, but a guy he's fine. He is perfectly fine. I don't understand where a lot of the, the Naquin hate comes from. Is it b- because he made a really shitty play in the world series in game six? We're going to hold on to that one forever. I, I, part of this is not his problem because more has been thrust upon him than it should be. They've needed Naquin to be more than what Naquin is. But if at the end of the day, he's a guy that contributes, if you played him semi-regularly, he gave you two wins above replacement and was hovering around league average as a hitter. There's value in that. I don't understand why everyone, and probably some of this has come back a little bit. Not, I don't hear quite as much of it recently, but I don't understand why everyone was ready to throw this guy out in the dumpster out back. We can all just hope to be average <laughs> one day, right? Shout out to Linus, too, who is yeah, way the, above average. Well, Thunder just woke uh, him from his slumber. So, Well, that, that is a perfect cue to segue to the random Indian of the day. And we'll do that right after this. All right, Zach, you are on the clock. Linus, if you want to help out, too, he's more than welcome. I don't think he's got access to the internet, so I don't think he's going to be helping you cheat. But are you ready? <laughs> I hate being on this end of it. <laughs> oh, all right. You see, which, which clue do I want to lead off with? All right. Former 91, 1991 draft pick of the Cleveland Indians in the 44th round was this gentleman. It doesn't even exist anymore. 44th round of the 91 draft by the Indians. Spent, Chad OJ. It is not Chad OJ. Spent 11 years in the major leagues, parts of 11 years in the major leagues. Uh, with the Indians, he began his career with the Indians. He spent 96 and 97 with the, the Indians, but only played very sparingly and was eventually shipped off. But in his two years with the Indians, in 96 and 97, he had a 602 OPS. And... In 827 career games in the major leagues, he had a 679 OPS. His last year, his first year was 96. His last year in the majors was 2006 with the Washington Nationals. Any initial guesses? Trinidad Hubbard. It is not Trinidad Hubbard. That is a good, good name. Not quite what we're looking for. 96 and 97. He debuted at the age of 23 with the Indians. Uh, this what else you got? this man is forty five years old today. He let's see which order I want to give these in. In two thousand three, in the ALDS, as a member of the Red Sox, collided with Johnny Damon. Damian Jackson. It is Damian Jackson. How I didn't realize he got that much run with the Indians in. Uh... In those years? Oh, it was very – I think it was like uh, – I wrote it down. Where? It was like a uh, small handful of games. Okay. Because I have no recollection of him in, in, actually in the in Indians uniform. Um, so, yeah, it's Damian Jackson. He spent 11 years in the major leagues, was traded by the Indians to the Reds in 97. Do you remember the trade that he was in? 
Uh, was that part of the John Smiley trade? It was. Also, Jeff Branson was involved in that deal. Yeah, Damian John Smiley. Did John Smiley ever pitch for the Indians? Uh, yes, briefly, before his arm Like five appearances in the and then... Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that was tragic. Uh, but yeah, Damian Jackson is the random Indian of the day. Former middle, in, middle infielder, right-handed hitter. Side story from Damian Jackson. The year was 1996. Was taking in a game in the minors. I don't remember if we had. We might. This might have been in Buffalo. Um, so we had journeyed to Buffalo to see an Indians AAA game, and before the game, little. Uh, let's see what grade would I have been in? Seventh grade, sixth or seventh grade. Young TJ was super excited when Damian Jackson walked over to the stands and autographed his baseball, and I thought, wow. This is a top prospect. This is a guy that's going to be up and mm. is going to be fantastic for the Indians. And I was so excited. I told everyone, I got Damian Jackson's autograph, guys. Almost as excited as I was when I got Danny Baez's autograph. That reminds me of the time I went to Brown's training camp. <laughs> and I had just purchased a new hat. Like 30 bucks on this hat. And also be a hat. And... Some of the Browns players were like coming over to the to the where fans were standing, and I didn't have anything for anyone to sign, so I let Ken Dorsey and running back Jason Wright <laughs> sign my hat, my brand new hat. And when they handed it back to me, I thought, "Oh my god, I just ruined my brand new hat." <laughs> it went from it cost me thirty dollars, and now it looks so stupid. And who? Who wants these guys' signatures? Oh, man. And I'm surprised Ken Dorsey, I mean, an eventual Ohio State grad like yourself, you would want a Ken Dorsey hat? That's sickening. Well, yeah. I I wonder if I ever wore that hat again. Where is that hat today? It's a great question. Probably... Well, remember how, like, the NFL came out with a new – they might still do this. They come out with, like, a new hat every year that the players have to wear on the sidelines. Yeah. And I would get it every year, and I remember, like, being so excited. And then the first time I wear it, <laughs> it's just ruined by oh, some man. scribbles with a Sharpie. <laughs> you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, and, of course, Anchor if you want to help become one of our monthly supporters over there. And if you see Zach out anywhere and he happens to be wearing a hat, ask him if you can autograph it. Any parting words for our listeners this week? No. Nothing? No nuggets of wisdom? No. Buckle up. Remember, two weeks till the deadline. Believe half of what you see and none of what you hear. Is that the phrase? And talks are always intensifying, much like this podcast. Till next week, we're out. See it.